I only know one way. That's the Padre way. I'm proud as heck to be a San Diego Padre. I played for one team. I played in one town. Smith is ready. Win waiting to pitch. There's a drive. Right center field. Base hit. And there it is. Ho-ho. Doctor. You can hang a star on that, baby. A star for the ages for Tony Gwynn. Number 3,000. And whenever I came, because I came out hard against the Galvis train, and everyone's like, oh, is J. Los Santos going to come up and be Cy Young, bro? No. And I'm like, that's not the fucking point. No, it's not. That's not the point. You are trading away anything of value for a guy that means nothing. And does Galvis move the needle? No. No. Absolutely not. And welcome back, everybody, to the 5.5 Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ortiz, alongside Eric Labou, and we are back for another uh, edition. And to crap all over the Freddie Galvis trade, because damn it, we told you so. Right, Eric? Yeah, breaking news. Well, actually, I don't know if he broke it, but uh, James... I didn't break it. The first person I saw it from was James Clark. Nothing <laughs> new there from Mr. Scoops himself. Yeah. He's taking the title from uh, Darren as uh, Scoops, Scoops Clark, I Yeah, that's what we need to call him now. Yeah, so I saw that Eniel De Los Santos was going to uh, make his Major League debut this weekend for the Phillies. Um, and I thought to myself, good God, <laughs> didn't he used to be in our organization? Yeah, we gave up Joaquin Benoit for him. Wow. And Very then how wild. did that how did that end up happening, right? So we're sitting there, and in the middle of December, there was a trade. So the Padres had Daniel De Los Santos, and they decided to turn around and trade him to the Phillies for Freddie Galvis. One year of Freddie Galvis, the last year of his contract for what? What have we got out of Freddie Galvis? Uh, we've gotten a 236 average with a 297 on base, good for a 336 slugging. That's 25% below league average according to Fangraphs, or otherwise known as uh, three-tenths of one win above replacement. Trash. He's been, he's been pretty good defensively. Yay! Yeah, he's been pretty good defensively. That's great. Like, that's... Oh, and Kevin Acey loves him. <laughs> yeah, he brings... Very underrated. He brings leadership abilities, He right? doesn't bring jack shit. Let's... We... And if you guys want to He won go... a gold glove. Woohoo. I mean, you know, if you look at Fangraphs, and there's a glossary. This is for you, Stephen Woods. But if you go on Fangraphs and hit glossary, they will itemize all the advanced metrics for you. So you can actually click on everything... To have a better understanding of what the metrics means. For defensive runs saved, usually 15 plus, is essentially an elite gold glove level um, a defender. Galvis is at 11 defensive runs saved right now. So I had mentioned on the episode where we touched on it in, uh, I think it was early mid, early to mid-January, if you guys want to go back and listen, um, that you know the metrics were pretty split on him. Ultimate zone rating typically liked him. Defensive runs saved kind of hit or miss. It's, it's the other way around this year. Ultimate zone rating... Um, has him at .3 above average for a, a major league shortstop. He's 11 runs better than a league average shortstop per uh, DRS. So he's really he's really good per DRS. I mean, he's he's a gold glove caliber shortstop, which is great. But when you're only assigned a third of a win above replacement as we're 90 games into the season and you're hitting 25% below league average, I mean, I mentioned it when AC tried with that blow smoke, he's underrated crap. He's like the second or third worst overall shortstop, uh, everyday shortstop in the entire league out of like 25 or 27 guys. So, you know, I understand, and I said at the time, like, yeah, they need to have a stopgap shortstop. But to trade somebody of De Los Santos, who neither of us were pretty 
high on at all. I mean, I'd said it's like it's not so much the player, it's the process. Exactly, um, the process. Yeah, it was a bad move at the time, strictly for process, not just because of player. And we'll jump into De Los Santos' minor league stats as well, because I do think there's a little smoke and mirror going on there also. But it's the idea that you're giving up a guy who is cheap for the next six to seven years. Cheap. I mean, dirt cheap, right? Who, if he doesn't pan out as a starter, who's probably, you know, maybe a number three starter at the most. Hopefully, you know, at least... I feel like that's absolute peak. Yeah, absolute three peak. Starter. Yeah, three to five starter peak. And if not, you know, he throws hard enough, he could be a two-pitch mixed guy in your bullpen. Instead of bringing up the Walker Lockett's of the world, because Maton and Lockett were recalled. I like Maton. Lockett, to me, is an up-and-down guy. He's exactly what he is now. Up-and-down guy. You have a guy with De Los Santos who maybe can crack your rotation or could be a long-term relief piece. You gave up possibly six years of that on the cheap for one year of Freddie Galvis above what his market value would actually be. Who is? Take a drink. Fringe Major League Regular. <laughs> drink. Um, hashtag Fringe Major League Regular. FML. There you go. Two shots. You'll be drunk in about five minutes. But yeah. uh, FML. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but, I mean, you know, if Galvis didn't play shortstop, I mentioned this on that podcast. I compared it to Jankowski. If he didn't play a premium up-the-middle position and wasn't really good at it, because I'll give him credit, he's been really good defensively, been super impressed with him since opening day um, with the glove, he wouldn't be in the majors. In no way, shape, or form is a guy slugging 336 with a 297 on base going to be a major league player. He's just not. He's worse offensively uh, than Perella. The difference is he plays shortstop. They don't have anybody else. The, the next guy in line is in double A, tearing at the new asshole. But he's in double A. You're not going to bring that guy up and jump him a level. So Galvis kind of gets a pass on that. He gets to hang around. But he's no trade value. You mentioned that. Absolutely no trade value. I mean, None. the thing is, like, if if someone's playing a premium defensive position, like shortstop, it would go, okay, if they're light hitting shortstop, that's fine. But this light hitting, good God. Yeah, to me, light hitting, and I, I said this about Hedges, I want to say last year, when we guessed he'd have, like, 8 to 10 home runs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I said if Hedges can hit 250 with a 300 on base and slug, like, 380, 390 – Everyday player, because the defense is there, he's probably a two or three win player. I'm just guessing. I don't know how to calculate that stuff, but I'm just guessing. I think if Galvis was hitting 250, I mean, he's almost at a 300 on base, but if he was slugging, you know, 80 points higher, 40 po- even 40 to 50 points higher, excuse me, I think he would be at least an average everyday shortstop. As it stands right now, again, he is in like the bottom, he's like the bottom two or three shortstop in the entire league as an everyday regular. He's yeah. not good. He's not giving them, other than upgraded defense on a shitty team that's a 90-loss team with or without him, he's not giving him anything that they didn't already have with Eric Ibar and Alexi Ramirez or Amaris Van Barms. There's know, no reason to bring him in. There's absolutely no, you no ran, reason. I would have rather ran Dusty Coleman out there who... Loggenhagen from Fangraph said, like, he can Dusty hit a Coleman little bit. sucks, though. But still, but still it doesn't is he, matter. It, do you think he's worse than a 75, you know, hitting 75 or 25% below league average? Yes, I, I do. don't think. I think Dusty Coleman think, is worse than that. I think Dusty Coleman could post that stat line, that rate, 236, to base 230, 300, 330 on average on base slugging. I think he could post that probably with worse defense, but does it really matter? You know who they could have given a shot to? Jose Rondon. <laughs> no, 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 no. Let's not trigger Marver. Yeah. Let's not trigger Marver now. He's trying to travel safely. He makes his way back to... He's already uh, home. Well, that's good. Let's yeah. let's let him rest comfortably before we go over that. He's yeah. already starting to tweet on it. But, uh, I mean, but you're right. They could have just ran Rondon out there. But that's the thing is that they could have ran guys they already had in the system to go do what Galvis... Maybe they're not as good defensively. Probably not. Because Galvis... And I, I argued with AC on this. It's like, we already knew what he was when we got him. He was a glove-first, really glove-only shortstop. 
they had guys they could just plug in as stopgats and for the next year, year and a half, until Tatis came up. They had guys. They could have ran Coleman out there. They could have ran um, Rondon out there. They could have, God knows, gotten like some guy off the scrap heap. Who knows and who cares? It's that they had options, cheaper options, and they gave up a guy who for the next six years could help shore up what's already a deep system, but they didn't have to trade him. I know he was excess, but they didn't have to trade him. De Los Santos, I have the stats up here. He's thrown 98 in the third innings in AAA. He's got an 8.2 K rate, 2.93 walk rate uh, per nine, and a 189 ERA. A little bit of smoke and mirrors. Uh, Fielding independent pitching, basically home runs, walks, and strikeouts have his ERA closer to four. But still, that's better than Walker Lockett. That's better than Eric Lauer, I would say. I, yeah. I like him. I think he has as much upside as Lauer. Oh, I yeah. think his upside is higher than Lucchese if he can figure it out. Well, yeah. I mean, there's Maybe. still there's still a lot to be determined when it comes to De Los Santos. But, you know, to kind of look at it from the simpleton view that a lot of Padre fans do. Oh, you have a great handle on that. If you're sitting there, if you're, sitting there, if you're looking at the wins, loss, and the ERA. So that's 9 oh, and 3. I'm going to get out of here. With a 1.89. Put it this way. Ugh. If he was doing that in El Paso... We would be jacking ourselves off right now, right? We'd be bring jacking each other off. Really. Gotta bring him up. Come on, De Los Santos. Yes. Hot talent lava. That's what Lucchese was doing last over year. over that. We would be all over that. Yeah. And instead, we gave him... He's 22 years old, man. Like, when we traded him, he was 21. Like, I, I do not understand trading anything... Again, I mean, you guys can go back and listen to it. By the way, our sound quality has gotten much better since then. <laughs> As but, you can tell. You mean you didn't put an effect on that? I, no. That sounded like it was an effect, you know, to give yeah. it like that... That vintage, this was said a long time ago, uh, feel. Yeah, it sounded like we were recording in a tin can with using some Radio Shack speakers. <laughs> was that still Mobile Studio? No, it was still here. It was yeah. Different, different so if, if you look <laughs> at that, dude, like the whole point of this is Galvis on this team in 2018 is, and you never want to concede your season before it starts. He's superfluous. There's no reason to bring him in. No. And then early in the season, you remember early in the season, dude, you had guys like Togerson leading the charge. It's like, <laughs> hey, because Galvis was hot to start the year, right? For like a week? For a week, okay? Oh, hey, man, Galvis, man, this is so great. This is so great. He's hitting. Hey, maybe we extend him for two years to give Tatis some time. Oh, my God. Do you remember and that? There's... Or or let's move Tatis to third. There's people on Reddit. Galvis. There are people on Reddit. Who you know are... how I feel about Reddit. Well, now that we're known <laughs> you know on how there, they feel about me. Yeah, we know. <laughs> how they, yeah, we've been bleeding followers thanks to their charge, yeah. but and apparently bleeding two listeners. But yeah. the thing is, is that you know there are people on there that are saying like, yeah, I'd love to bring Galvis back. Why he fucking sucks? He I does. mean, he's awful. He is awful. I said it when we got him. Like, you know, there's people on Twitter defending him. Oh, you know, he's gotten like you clearly don't know baseball. Look where he's ranked among total hits. Like, yes, Tony Gwynn was excellent. Tony Gwynn was amazing, and the big part of that is because he could basically get a base hit seemingly at will. That's great, but Tony Gwynn also didn't make outs in between base hits. Otherwise, he would have hit like 330. His on-base would have been 330, which right. isn't good, right? Like, he drew walks. He had plate discipline. Galvis doesn't have bad plate discipline. The problem with Galvis is that he makes a lot of contact, but he's a contact-oriented hitter. As we have seen with Hosmer, you live and die on contact. Your numbers are going to be all over the place. Yeah, it's not going well for him right now. It's not. And with Galvis, that's his game. He's a contact hitter. He doesn't have great speed. He doesn't have any power. He's not a walks machine. And because he doesn't have power, even if he was a walks machine like Jankowski, there's no reason to pitch around him because the reality is he's probably not going to hurt you anyway. So you can attack him and let him get himself out, which he's doing a hell of a job at if, you know, that's the uh, objective there. So you're right. He is absolutely meaningless on this team. He'll be a footnote shortstop. 
just like his predecessors, just like Davy Cruz and all the other guys they've ran out there, not named Khalil Green, that had no impact and really no reason for them to go out of their way to get, especially giving up potential value in the De Los Santos trade. My thing is, like, look at the way that De Los Santos was acquired. November of 15, the Padres shipped Joaquin Benoit away for him to Seattle. Yeah, and right? they dumped that contract, too. They got great rid- move. They got rid of Benoit. You get a guy like De Los Santos. Hey, let's take a shot on this guy. Lottery right? he's, he's 18 at the time. 18, 19 was years he? old at the time. Yeah. Wow. He's only 22 right now. So it's like, hey, let's take a shot on him. He's 19 years old. Let's see what happens. We traded an established major league reliever to get this guy. It worked. It worked. And then you turn around and you trade him to Philly for one year of Galvis. That doesn't work. No, it doesn't. Like, stop. I, like, as much as I love Preller, sometimes I feel like he, like, is too trade happy. It's like, chill, dude. He, like, he d- seems to get too, like, I need to fill this spot, so let me just make a move. Yeah, like, but not with De Los Santos, no. man. And, and really, this is the worst trade he's made since, like, that 2015 season, right? Like, I feel like he hasn't made any... Well, this was in the 2015 season. No, 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 no. I'm oh, talking, I'm sorry. I'm talking about... I'm sorry. Yeah. Galvis, like since the 2015 Without season, having a long list of the trades that he's made, I would yeah, say, yeah. I feel like this is probably like, because after that, I feel like he didn't make any deadline trades, but he traded Pomeranz for Alonzo, which was brilliant because yeah. of what he got back after that. And Pomeranz the non trade of, yeah. Fulm- of uh, Upton for Fulmer kind of sucks. Yeah. I mean, that was rumored. We don't know if that's really what was there, but it, I mean, there's a realistic chance it was. But still, you look at the moves he did since then, everything seems to make sense. It fit a certain. It's like they were moving towards a goal. Okay, he's going to shift gears. They're moving towards a different end game. So now they're going for young upside talent. The Solarte trade is a great, a great representation of that. I know you're not big on Oliveris, but and we mentioned it in the original episode with the Galvis trade where we touched on, you know, the original deal, is that that's the idea. You take a guy who is take a drink, a fringe <laughs> major league regular, a fringe major leaguer, you take a guy who is peaking. He's got he's got some cheap years ahead of him, and he's good right now. Like he's a solid contributor. Solarte's not great, but he's a league average hitter, and he can play some positions. The Blue Jays obviously needed him; they love him. He's got 16 jacks. Yeah, he's probably going to break his career high. Oh yeah, 18. So you take a guy who can contribute out to a team that still thinks maybe we have a wild card shot, and you flip him for the lottery ticket. And Edward Olivares, he can play all three positions. He's got raw tools. He's got high upside. If it doesn't work out. It was a good process. You judge the process, not the result. It was a good idea to cash in on a guy who probably didn't have much, who had more present value to a team maybe that's in it than a team that is nowhere near in it. It's the same thing with the De Los Santos trade. Benoit is a good piece to have on a team that is maybe in it, that is right on the cusp and thinks, you know, things go well, we can get 80, 82, 83 wins, we're in it. You ship him for the could be in like a De Los Santos. High upside, raw ability. He might work out. That's a good baseball move on precedent. The Galvis trade is the complete fucking opposite of that. <laughs> it is. The complete opposite. Yeah, no doubt. And, I mean, it, like you, you can't stress it enough, dude. It's like the season was lost before it even started. The season's been lost since if, 2015 after they went 10-5 and five and then tanked in 2015. Exactly. If, like, Galvis, and I don't even want to, like, say he's like a final piece type move, but if... if <laughs> I know, I know. But if you're sitting there and you're like, God damn it, man, I need a shortstop. I have nothing. You're like, you know, let me trade away this 21-year-old kid for a year of Galvis because we're right on the cusp and we need a good fielding shortstop. Yeah. Okay. I can kind of buy it. 
but they made no moves. They hadn't even signed Hosmer to that point. I know. They but made I, no moves. I mean, I guess according to reports from respected San Diego media, <laughs> Galvis was at the time a way to lure in such a free agent. Yeah, that's what Togerson was saying. God, Togerson, dude. Jesus Christ. Let's <laughs> let's move on before you and I have an aneurysm. Let's go on to who's not tanking. Before uh, before uh, we do that yeah. here, um, I do want to make a quick announcement. I have it here before I fucking forget about it. Um, we said last week's episode the awful train wreck of an episode. Yeah, Good the, listens, Lord. the listens reflect. <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. So we had Sackbunt Dustin lined up. We tried and tried and tried to get Skype ready, and it didn't work. Yep. Um, so I put out there. I said, "Hey, uh, if you guys retweet the show, I'll pick one of the one of the people." Um, who retweeted the show, and I'll give him the Trevor Hoffman 500 save commemorative bobblehead that I got from the SD Social Summit. And we have a random winner from that. So we have um, Aaron. It's at underscore AARON87, <laughs> the pride of East County, um, Aaron. So that did is, you throw uh, me in the running because I retweeted it. You did, but no, you didn't. You didn't win. So oh, oh. the pride of East County, Aaron, lives out there in Poway. Um, at underscore AARON. 87. Congratulations. I have the uh, Trevor Hoffman 500 commemorative bobblehead coming your way. Um, I don't know when I'm going to see him. I think I'm going to see him at the Dave and Jeff thing. So, there you go. Um, Apologizes, uh, apologies in advance. It's not used. I was just really eager. I didn't know Eric was giving it away, so I opened it yeah. uh, last week before we went on air, and he told me what he was doing. So apologies yeah. in advance, but congratulations. Congratulations. And of course, uh, thank you for the listen. Now, as I was saying, let's move on to something that's not a fucking complete loss and failure. Will motherfucking Myers is back and better than ever, Eric. Yes, dude. Yes. And it was so nice to see him go off. So nice. It was. I don't care who was pitching last night. That was an absolute bomb. And here's so here's the thing, right? So ever since, if you guys listen to the Padres Twitter podcast when we had Nick McCann on, he said something that really stuck with me. And he said, hey, you know, it's probably best to just kind of stay in your lane. Just focus on what you do and try to do it the best you can. And I, I kind of, I was like, wow, that's really good advice. We never would have got this if Dallas would have came on instead. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so I was sitting there, dude, and I, like, I, I, I told myself, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm just gonna focus on what we're doing. And then I saw people tweeting about the make the Padres great again, and how Gennaro. I'm not gonna, you know, shit on Gennaro about it because it's been done enough. But he came out and said that the Padres should trade Will Myers for Adam Jones. Which objectively, not not crapping on Gennaro or anything, just objectively as a baseball move would be a terrible idea for yeah, the Padres. absolutely terrible. And he got shit on, as he should have. Um, but then to see Myers come out and do what he's done in the last four days, good God, dude. Also, that please, was so uh, satisfying. Also, our new uh, crossover uh, friends, our new our new lovers in life, the uh, Bluntly Padre boys. <laughs> yeah, go check out them a, out. Great video yeah. of Myers just destroying the ball. Yeah, Myers has been on fire. Remember when he got hurt? Um, I don't know if it was right before or when he got hurt. I'd mentioned like he hadn't even drawn a walk yet. Right. Um, he's he's not a walks machine right now, but he's got a respectable slash line: two ninety two, three fifty two on base. He's slugging five sixty three. Forty seven percent above league average per fan graphs. Small sample size. Triple S. Yes, yes. Triple S. Small sample size. His his average on balls in play, which this one's for you too, Woods. He's when he makes contact, he is expecting a hit at, at the rate right now of about 328, 330. His career is about 318, 320. So he's not overly lucky. He's just I would breaking. assume that means he's hitting the ball hard, Cotton. <laughs> right you are, Pepper. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, he's actually, he is absolutely tearing it up. Now, I don't think Myers is going to be 
you know, a one a, a guy who's going to put up 50% better than league average. I mean, that's fucking, that's elite. It's not Mike Trout, but that is absolutely elite. I don't think he's that guy. Maybe if he's a 115 to 120 guy, that's fine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I said it when they, when they were inquiring on Hosmer before they actually signed him that I don't feel like Hosmer, I mean, if you look at the totality of their careers, right? Just look at the rate stats. Don't look at prestige value. Don't look at <laughs> gold gloves. Yeah, gold gloves. Don't look at all this media stuff. Just look at them player to player. Offensively, Myers and Hosmer were not that far apart. Hosmer's better. He's also played more. He's been healthier and he's had bigger years. Um, but at bat for at bat, you're not really getting much more, at least not significantly so. By moving Myers, I mean, you know, basically replacing Myers uh, for in uh, for Hosmer. So I was on the Will Myers bandwagon since they traded for him. Even though I'd much rather have. Trey well, honestly, Turner. we don't really have a choice. Well, to- we don't. But you can always say like, you know, once Matt Kemp came here and he had one hot month or one hot week, and then he sucked, and you could tell he's just hot dogging. It. It's like, okay, we're off the bandwagon. Yeah, it's t- he's just not a fit here, right? It doesn't matter what he's doing. He hasn't hit since he until he got back to LA. So it's time to get off the bandwagon. Whereas with Myers. You know, he had a really good first half in the All-Star break. I don't think it was a mental thing. Maybe it was a mental thing. Maybe he wore down mentally. It was a long year for him, that All-Star year. Right. Is his first real full season. He was the ambassador. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It was, I mean, it was a lot. He's being asked to be something that maybe he's really not. He's probably, maybe he's not that rah-rah, super, you know, let's go guys, clubhouse guy like Hosmer is. He doesn't come off as that charismatic, charming personality. He just comes off as a dude who's cool to hang out with. He's chill, and he wants to show up, play baseball, and hit bombs, which is fine, yeah. as long as he keeps doing what he's doing. But I don't think that you know Myers was ever really an issue. His contract, and uh, the great Talia said this, as well as H.J. Preller on Twitter, is that his contract is not bad when you look at it in the context of what major league players are making now. $20 million is a new 15, 12 to 15 million. Padre fans lose their shit when they hear someone making at least 20 million. It's not, number one, it's not your money. And number two, you know, Adrian Gonzalez is making like $20 million this year. Who would you rather have? Well, yeah, but I mean, it's 20 million is not a lot of money, it's especially not. when you only have two guys on the team that are making that kind of money. And he's not making that now, anyways. And when he does make it, it's only for what, three years? It's yeah. not like he's crip- they're crippling, they're crippled with nine years of it. Like, Look at look at the Orioles right now. They're not a big payroll team, and they're stuck yeah. with Chris Davis, who's uh, trying to strike out as many games uh, in a row as Ripken played in honor of the good old <laughs> Cal Ripken. I saw that on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but you know, Myers to me is I think at peak a 30 percent above league average. He's in left field uh, as of late, which I mentioned. You know, when they talked about when they got my, uh, Hosmer to move him, like put him in left. Like it's it's the it's second to last outside of uh, first on the defensive spectrum. Probably less ground to cover because guys are typically pull hitters. Your center fielder is probably playing straight up, or you got Margot in yeah, center. Yeah, you got Margot in center, and he's probably playing to pull most righties anyway. So yeah. play him in left, um, and he's looked okay out there in the eye test. I don't have the numbers, and it's too small a sample, anyways. But I, if, I don't mind, you know, if Will Myers is 30 percent above league average, I think that's what he can be. And I think with the power there, with the money that they're paying him right now, he's fine. There's no reason to trade him. Now, if he keeps doing this and some team knocks on your door and says, hey, we want Will Myers, if you guys need a little bit of the contract, what's it going to take going back? Then I'm not eating shit of that contract. It though. depends on what they can get back. It has to make too much fucking sense for them if, if it's the right deal, right? Because really, nobody, because they're not going to be competitive this year. They may be competitive next year. And by competitive, I mean... 75-80 wins, which is competitive, right? The murky middle. I think they could be 500 next year. I think so, too. Best case scenario. Right. But. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. As And we yes, we will. 
But if the right deal's in place, I'm fucking trading. I'm basically trading anybody not named Lauer, like the young guys, the guys who I think are cheap. They're cheap now. They're going to be here in five to seven years. Like those are the guys I'm not touching. Like unless you're just blown away. Like if they can move Hosmer because a team at the deadline, you know, the Red Sox want a first baseman and you can take on some money, get rid of him. If they're going to give you a good deal for him, you move him. I think because I don't think Hosmer is going to be that good for that long. He's slumping badly right now. And I think this is what you would expect from him, these ups and downs. Myers isn't that young. So if you can cash in on his peak value, absolutely. But Myers is 27. It's his age 27 years. Exactly. So he's got 27, 28, 20. He's got three years in his 20s left. If you can cash in on peak value, absolutely. Hosmer's what? 28, so he's got two of those years. Right. If you can cash in on those guys, peak value, great. But I don't think guy, people should be looking to dump Myers or calling him a bum. No, like, I, dude, I don't understand that. Of all the people to get mad at, like, I don't understand. Watching Myers this week, and I'm not just saying it because of how he did this past weekend. Like, we've, been on, this, we've been on this train for a while. Like, of all the players on the team that you can shit on, why are you going after Myers, who is consistently one of the best hitters on the team? Not only that, it, they, they act like Myers got the contract and started sucking. He's yeah. doing It's like, number one, if I said, I'm going to pay you this much more than league average. I think the league average payroll is like $5 million. If I'm going to pay you four times as much to beat, to do the same thing that some rookie in AAA I can pull up can do, maybe at a lesser production rate, but nonetheless, do the same job you've been doing for the last four years. I'm going to pay you four times as much than you would make on average compared to your peers. Are you going to take it? Absolutely, you're going to take it. It's not his fault the Padres handed him a contract prematurely that he probably didn't deserve. From his standpoint, it would have been dumb for him not to take the money because of the injury history, because he hasn't really lived up to expectations. At one point, he was like a top three to five prospect in baseball. He would have been stupid not to take the money. So blame the ownership. Don't blame Myers, who the last three years he's been here has been doing what he's always done. He's 10 to 15% above average. That's what he's been. There's more in the tank, I think. But it's not his fault that you have lofty expectations because you can't read a slash line for his career and just basically accept that this is probably what he is at base. Well, also, it's like last year, so uh, 7% above league average, OPS plus 107. Yeah, everyone's in there, oh my God, but that contract, he made $4.5 million last year. He doesn't make 20 year. until next year, right? Next year, he makes $5.5 million. So 2020. Five and a half million next year, which I'll I'll go out and say like I'll let me go out on a limb here. If Myers is healthy next year, that five point five million is gonna be like holy shit. We're gonna steal for this guy because what age do players They're normally enter Galvis their prime? They're paying Galvis like three or four million dollars right now. What age do players normally go in their Typically prime? Typically twenty five to thirty is gonna be their best run. Okay, well the guy's twenty eight. He's or next year he'll be twenty eight and he's making five and a half mil. So I feel like next year's gonna be a huge steal. In 2020, that's when I'm willing to listen. If you want to bitch about it, even though I don't think $22.5 million is a lot of money, especially when the Padres are tens of millions of dollars below a league average payroll. Oh, big time. I'll be willing to listen if he's making in the 20s and he's not doing that if well. If he's got 100 OPS plus, then yeah, we have if a he's, problem. Yeah, if he's league average making that money, then okay, I'll listen. But for now, chill. The thing is, though, is that Will Myers has a track record of not being league average. He's not significantly above league average, but last year was probably his worst year at 107. What did he do the years before? Like 115, 115 right? and then 112. Yeah. His first year. Yeah, and then what did he do in his first full year in Tampa? I think like 118 or 130, somewhere in that range. Uh, his rookie of the year, he was 131. There you go. Yeah. So, And, I mean, he was healthy that year, and but he didn't play a full season. So I think that's his I think that's his ceiling. I mean, he did that in the AL East, so that's right. not easy. So... 
Myers is fine. Myers is fine. <laughs> he's There's fine. no reason to think that he is overpaid. He's clearly not. He's not going to be overpaid for another season and a half. And if he's putting up 120 OPS pluses, he's still not going to be overpaid. He's going to be a pretty good, pretty good bargain. If I if I checked it, I'm pretty sure he wasn't much, uh, or Justin Upton the year we had him was not much better than uh, Will Myers from a at bat to at bat standpoint. Now, Last year, guy had 29 doubles. We'll round up to 30. 30 doubles, 30 homers, 20 stolen bags. Yeah. Like, come on, dude. And people are bitching about it. I don't. That's sometimes when people say like, oh, you know, Padres Twitter, they're crazy. <laughs> that's sometimes I'm like, yeah, we can be a little bit insufferable at times. You oh, know what of I mean? course. I mean, bitch we're a long-suffering fan base. Bitch about Perella. Or Galvis. Or bitch about Galvis. Or, like, I'll listen to you if you want to bitch about Hosmer because he's been struggling. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to go out there and blindly no, say Hosmer's our guy. They're only going out there shitting on the guys who shit on Hosmer signing initially. Yeah, I mean, in <laughs> fairness, in fairness, uh, Will was hurt this year. You know, he's yeah. hurt for a big majority of the year. He's 26 games into the season, but he's off to a hot start. So I'm, I'm willing to uh, ride that wave as long as he's willing to take and us there's him. how many games 70 games left so he can finish around 100 games yeah and if he can keep it i mean the, he's been as good as hosmer in his 26 games real small sample size but i don't believe like hosmer's is head and shoulders better i just think hosmer has better a better publicist really <laughs> <laughs> he's better he's better marketed than will myers who is more scott boris uh, maybe not scott boris it's just that hosmer was on the team myers was supposed to be on so right. Myers isn't looked, and Hosmer was the fate, even though he was not the best player. I said this to our friend Stephen Woods on Twitter. Hosmer was not the best free agent leaving the Royals last year. No. Lorenzo Cain has been their Alcides, best. Oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Alcides Escobar. Remember the Padres thought were, they were thought to be in on him? Ugh. Hey, you could have taken him instead of Galvis. And we'd have Daniel De Los Santos, but never mind. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's that's true, but uh, probably cheaper too. But uh-huh. nonetheless, um I'd, I'd said this, and I said this before. Lorenzo Kane was the best player of that bunch leaving the team for free agency. He's a be- he's the best player this year. You know, Mustaks has been whatever. Uh, Escobar's been trash for years. Hosmer's a mediocre hitter, and Lorenzo Kane is making an All Star team and tearing shit up. Yeah. So, but for whatever reason, Hosmer, the young, handsome, charismatic leader, was always put as like. He's the face of the franchise. He made a terrible base running decision, <laughs> and then Lucas Duda couldn't throw a strike to home, so he scored, and all of a sudden it made him the man on the team, and it created this this false aura that you know he was the guy when he was really never like that good over there right. outside of a couple of years. On top of they questioned like he struggled his second year. He struggled hard his second year to point to where they questioned. He's like, he going to be what he's supposed to be? He's wildly inconsistent. Right. We are seeing that right before our eyes, peaks and valleys. So I don't think, like, other than the media perception of what Hosmer is, the way that his agency pushes him and presents him to the fan base, if you just take all that crap out of it and look at him as players, you know, he's not really that much better than Will Myers. Yeah. Oh. And there's no reason to crap on Myers and go running to defend Hosmer. They're not bad pieces to have in your lineup. Though. No, they're not. You they're know? not. But neither of them, to me, are cornerstone players. Like, they're not Tatis yeah. or what Tatis is looking to be. They're certainly not Manny Machado. No. And Machado's not even on Mike Trout's level. That guy's on a whole other planet. But Machado is, I mean, he is an MVP caliber. He's a His floor is all-star. His peak is elite. And he's somewhere in the middle, he's going to be an MVP in there, here and there. Hosmer's floor and Will Myers' floor is above average player with some all-star peak years. 
clearly not this year for either of them. Not fringe. Um, no, no, they're neither major of them are fringe major leaguers. Take okay. two drinks on that one. Um, let's talk about some more fringe major leaguers. Andy Green had a, a quote in a Kevin AC article. Another great article by AC. Just amazing, to, dude. Just amazing. No just, one has been on fire more than Kevin AC. I'll I mean, tell you that. Dude. The angles he takes, Eric, are just thought provoking. But we'll get onto that later. Let's talk about the, the the comment he had about Andy Green. Now, this is not verbatim, but uh, it did pop up on Twitter. Uh, where Andy Green basically cited that Jankowski and Aswahe, who just got called up and wasn't playing much the first time through, so it doesn't make sense that he's saying it now. Right. Uh, but Jankowski and Aswahe are getting a lot more at-bats and a lot more looks because of their ability to control the strike zone, hunt a certain pitch, and you know execute. Even though since May 21st, Jankowski's posted a 225, 310, 271 slash line, which is 32% below league average. I have it right here. Green said Saturday, and I quote from Kevin Acey, the amazing Padres beat writer. The no best beat writer ever. No one better. Why hasn't any? Why hasn't the Athletic hired him yet? He says, quote, I look at Travis Jankowski and Carlos Asuaje as guys who know what it means to be aggressive in a defined space who are attacking pitches you want them to swing at. It's been a challenge for a lot of other guys to do that. The reality of winning baseball is you swing at strikes and take balls. That's decades old. Now, I'm not sure if that's Andy Green or Mark Sweeney. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, that's baseball, Eric. Yeah. Who the hell is talking? Did Buddy Black, like... Did he kill Andy Green and then put his skin on like Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I guess. This Invasion of the Body Snatchers Manager's Edition? <laughs> what the hell kind of garbage is that? I Yeah, I don't know. So Ugh. I think that just kind of goes more to the point of what people have been saying, that that Green likes guys that are kind of like him. Like, like the Jose. That's why Jose Perella gets so many looks. You know, I always have a saying, Eric. You can't pill, spell scrappy without crappy. <laughs> But it's, it's true, right? I mean... So look, cheesy, dude. It, but it's true. <laughs> it is true. Like, Jankowski is a scrappy fourth outfielder at best. Fifth, actually, fourth to fifth outfielder. Um, Carlos R. on Twitter asked me, like, do you think he's a, dare I say, fringe major leaguer? <laughs> yeah. But I said, no, I think he's a fringe starter on a bad team. Like, if he played on the Royals, I don't know who their center fielder is. But if he played on a team like the Royals or the Orioles or some team like that that just... The White Sox. Who Terrible. Just, who you just, just mentioned like three of the worst teams in baseball. Yeah, right? Like, you know, or Cincinnati, right? Like, he's basically a poor man's Billy Hamilton. He's obscenely fast. He's an excellent base runner. He's an absolute stellar defender. He couldn't hit the broad side of a fucking barn, to quote Angels in the outfield. Couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. Did they use the F-bomb in Angels in the outfield? Uh, well, they insinuate Danny Glover uses a lot of them. They just never come out and say it. Oh, okay. One of the greatest uh, movie managers of all time. Okay. But, I mean, it, it's the idea that he plays these scrappy guys with, like... I don't mind Aswahe playing. Let me throw that out there because Aswahe is not blocking anybody. Like we've, and we're going to talk to Conniff later. Uh, John Conniff of Mad Friars. John Conniff has stated, like you know, Urias has not hit as well as you would expect him. He's not pushing the team to promote him. He's been better lately. Lately, but okay. yes, but in general, right? I mean, right. In the totality of the season to this point, he hasn't pushed the envelope and forced their hand. I don't mind them playing Spangenberg or a Swahead second getting longer looks. I'd prefer Spangenberg just because... Either yeah, of those I two mean, over Perella. Either of them. Yeah, either, yeah, but you're right. Either of those two over Perella. Whereas Jankowski is taking a bats away from both Margot, because we've seen him start in center. He's taking a bats away from Renfro, because we've seen him starting in right. Here's the thing, and we've mentioned this fucking ad nauseum. Renfro was sent down, and we have had... You know, those in the know, private conversations off the record, tell us Renfro was sent down specifically because he swung or swung at too many pitches, awful plate discipline, didn't draw enough walks, 
Didn't get himself in a hitter's count. They wanted him to specifically work on that. Guess what? He's worked on it. He has. Now, he's still striking out at the usual clip. It's nothing awful. It's like 25 Strikeouts are outs, though. Exactly. Strikeouts are outs, and he's not striking out 40% of the time either. Um, he, I put this on Twitter. You can pull up my feet. I'm not going to. But this <laughs> this is why I love that. That sounds like a threat. Yeah. <laughs> You can pull up my feed. This is uh, this is this this is this is why I love Fangraphs and why, you know, I think that when when managers or or beat writers or whoever say dumb shit, you know, they need to be more accountable for it because the peons like you and I can just go look it up. I ran Renfro's numbers from May twenty first, twenty seventeen, through July 9, twenty seventeen. Right, I literally a year ago today because that's my cutoff for Jankowski. Anytime I crap on him since May twenty first. <laughs> Renfro's, so you're cherry picking numbers? I'm not cherry picking numbers. <laughs> it's just that's when you know Jankowski stopped hitting. Right. It's when the slide started, the uh, epic slide of failure, as right. I called it. But my autobiography coming to stores. <laughs> yes. June 2019. No, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, last year Renfro, like his batting average is a little bit better than last year, but his on base was like in the 290s. He was slugging higher, but overall he was awful. I mean, just he was just terrible. He was a below league average hitter. I think his. Weighted runs created plus was 97, 3% below league average. This year, at the same time this year, he's hitting 264. He's got a 331 on base, and he's slugging 436 as compared to what I think was 444 through this time last year in that uh, time frame. Actually, it might have been, I think I just ran it for the full season up to this date. So, okay. Uh, and because, remember, he's demoted, so he missed some time while he was at it. So he has made the improvements needed. Now, he does swing at pitches more often, I would believe. I know for a fact more out of the zone than Jankowski. So if you know Green is referencing than that, then yeah, he's right. But if the idea was, okay, Hunter, we want you to cut down on your swings, he's done that in general. He's swinging less in general. He's being more selective and cut down on swinging at pitches that you can't do anything with, which are typically outside of the strike zone. He has done that. He passes the eye test. People love the eye test. He, you know, from a viewership standpoint, looks much more patient, much more selective than he did a year ago. He's going to strike. Leaps and bounds. Yeah, leaps and bounds. He's going to strike out. He is not a wet newspaper punch and Judy bat like Jankowski, who fucking a week or two ago hit two ground balls off the pitcher to the third baseman to ground out. Two <laughs> one five three uh, putouts. Like He did that twice because Jankowski, for the most part, is going to just punch singles. I think he turned on one and quote-unquote hammered it for like a like soft double. If, uh, I don't even know if he got a double. He might have had a single because somebody might have been in front of him. So it's right. like, you know, Renfro's not that kind of guy. He's not a contact hitter. He's going to go up there and he's going to take a daggum hack <laughs> and try to hit the ball 600 feet, and he's going to strike out. whoop de doo in, in the time frame right now, you know, again, 331 average, or on base, 436 slugging in that time span compared to Jankowski with a 310 uh, on base and a 271 slugging. Like, he is at bat for at bat better. Then you go into Margot, who's been on an absolute tear. Five-hit game yesterday. He's hit some oh, yeah. home runs. He's hit some doubles. I mean, been consistent. He's finally in the leadoff hole now. Since he's raised those counting stats a lot. To the point to where, per baseball reference, he is worth almost as much as Jankowski in terms of wins above replacement. So now you have Margot, since May 21st, hitting significantly better than both those guys. 292, 370, 438. He's matching Renfro slugging. He's got a 40-point on-base advantage. And he's hitting 292, which... Compared to Renfro's about 30 points. Compared to Jankowski is like 70 points. Wow. I mean, and, and slugging, it's 200, almost 200 points higher. It's 150 points, 160 points higher. He's been 22% above league average in that time. So almost twice as better above league average than Renfro, who should be playing, as should Marco. So, again, a Swahe I have no problem with. But start him over Perella. Right. 
Largo and Renfro, they need to be out there every day. Until Cordero comes back, assuming he's still alive somewhere. We aren't going to see Cordero until the Winter League. Yeah, probably. When he's the MVP uh, of the Seti del Caribe. That's assuming. That's <laughs> Sorry, assuming that Preller. That. That's assuming that Preller, Fowler, and company can afford the uh, you know the ACA deductible <laughs> to get the MRI needed to see what's wrong with him in the first place. But until then, until then, unless you make a deal to get a corner outfield piece that's going to be your everyday guy at the deadline, or somebody just shows up and starts raking again like another Perella instance from last year, your outfield from left to right should be Myers, Margot, and Renfro, with Jankowski being the next guy in line if you need to go down, or there's a DH. Or if they you need a late inning replacement. A- yeah, they DH'd AJ fucking Ellis the other day, and Renfro was on the bench. Yeah. That's the perfect spot to use him. You can put Myers in left where he's not as much liability and have two center fielders patrolling the two toughest spots in the outfield to uh, defend. And D.H. Renfro, who is one of your better hitters on the team. It's a perfect opportunity. And for some reason, Andy Green is not going with it. I don't know why. We touched on it with Bluntly Padres. Maybe it's not down from the front office. But those comments are not, you know, those comments are not what I'm looking for. If you're going to play them, just say, I'm playing them because I believe they're the hotter hand. Don't give me this play discipline crap because Jankowski can control the strikes and all he wants. He's got a 271 slugging. He's literally a non-threat. Yeah. He's a zero threat at the plate. <laughs> you might as well just throw another pitcher up there. You might as well bring just back throw Scherzer. Richard. Yeah. Throw, throw Clayton Richard up there. I have more faith <laughs> that Tyson Ross is going to run into one. Yeah. Yeah, no shit, dude. Jesus. But, you know, um, yeah, that's... I mean, I don't know how to put it any better than that, dude. I, I don't understand where oh, they're I'm gonna have going. I'm going to have an aneurysm. I don't understand where they're going with that, dude. And, like, sometimes Andy Green, like, he, it's things that don't really makes sense that that he says like that and to your point that you said earlier in reference to i believe it was ac like you can't say those types of things now because fans are much more informed and they have a plethora of information and different places to gather information to prove why you are wrong like even joe a random joe dickhead can be like hey andy green said this but guess what this is why he's wrong you know, and then you have, you know, guys like Ortiz over here going ape shit on him. Not ape shit. It's you just know, don't it's... In, don't insult my intelligence. That's that's the problem I have with, you know, when AC writes those so articulated articles is that you're Honestly, insulting dude. the intelligence of the fan by saying, well, you know, Jankowski, you know, he's he's got, you know, he's looking for pitches and he has discipline where he's he's attacking in a in a what the hell, a defined space. Whoopty fucking do, guy. He's still not hitting, regardless of what his approach is. It's not yielding results. The guy you're benching is yielding results. Put the best guy out there, and Jankowski's not the best guy. He's not better than Margot, and he's not better than Renfro. He's not better than Myers. You know, you mentioned AC, dude. Like, I'll I'll be honest, okay? I, I need to come out and say, when I'm wrong, I am happy to say I am wrong. Up until this point. I had shit on him all year long. I shit on AC. And you know why? To be honest, the only reason... You were jealous. The only reason I have ever shit on AC is so that I can make This Week in Padres Twitter. <laughs> That's the only reason. I wanted to be... Don't wanted, we usually make This Week in Padres Twitter? Yeah, but for dunking on AC. That's oh, why I wanted to get on there. You I know, see. I wanted to get people to like my comments when I talk shit to AC. And I wanted to be featured on Dave's article. That's what I wanted. But... 
up until Wait, this weekend. Wait, who the fuck is Dave? H.J. Preller. I know who he is. <laughs> up until this weekend. You know what I did? I took Kevin's advice. I started reading his articles. I've never felt more informed. I've never felt more enlightened. Your eyes have never looked so glazed. And I've never felt more intelligent when it comes to baseball and Padre baseball in particular than I have since this weekend when I started reading the articles. So God bless Kevin AC. But... <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face. I know. But we are really excited to change gears here to bring in John Connick. So he is um, on... He's, he's on uh, assignment, I guess. I was going to say on foot, but then it sounds like he's running from the police. <laughs> <laughs> he's on the run in San Antonio. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So John has been down in San Antonio. He's been watching the missions down there. Um, check them out, madfriars.com. Make sure you guys subscribe. Uh, it's a cup of coffee a month. Drop the coffee. Subscribe to Madfriars. Uh, John's on Twitter at Madfriars. Um, we're gonna get a kind of an idea of what it has been like. He saw Chris Paddock's first start in Double A. He saw that there. He also saw Quantrill pitch. Um, we have rumblings that Buddy Reed may be moving up to Double A after the Cal League All Star Game and the Futures or, Game selection. Me. Yeah, excuse me, the Futures Game selection. So we want to get his thoughts on it. So we'll bring him in in just a minute. Bing, 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 All right, and we are back with the overlord of Mad Friars on assignment, on the run, and uh, in a Mexican restaurant near you. John Conniff is back. Welcome, John. Hey, how are you? The Mexican restaurant was the other night. I, I you know, went to, went to barbecue today, so oh, you know, I was trying to try to keep the heart healthy diet going. <laughs> oh, no Arby's. Yeah, no Arby's. No, I, I didn't take David Jay's advice on that. I was up in San Marcos. Hey, there's an Arby's here and here. I said, No, man, I'll go for some barbecue. The real stuff. I heard uh, Kevin Charity has the uh, Arby's uh, celebrity black card, actually. <laughs> uh, Kevin's not as much an aficionado as Arby's. So even though it's a complete bunch of BS that I make up on David as Arby's, it's a good theme <laughs> to keep going on Twitter because it really annoys him quite It's a, a great bit. Um, one thing that's not <laughs> annoying is uh, Chris Paddock uh, picking oh. up where he left off. You got to watch his debut, John. How'd that, uh, how'd that look from your uh, vantage point? Well, it was really neat because I, when I was on the Darren Smith show today, I said, you know, we only pitched three games in Fort Wayne. I haven't been out to like Elsinore yet, and you guys have seen him a lot, so we're going to kind of compare notes on that. Yeah. But, you know, it was it was awesome. One, I was having to be down in the main concourse, and there was like an army of people having like T-shirts that were made of like Paddock's group or something like that. And it was <laughs> all his family. Half of them were like in cowboy hats and boots. <laughs> you know, they were all in one section. And... uh the thing I, I had an interview with uh, Paddock today, and I said, you know, most people get really nervous when they're pitching in front of their friends or family, and you really got fired up. And he said, oh yeah, I just feed off that. I, I love that. And then, you know, you guys were there when Kevin interviewed him, and I don't know if you guys kind of sense the same thing. You could tell he oh, yeah. really, really missed uh, being out of baseball for a year, and so he's just enjoying every every second that he has. It also seemed like, and maybe you experienced the same thing as well, and we, for those of you who are just listening, uh, Danny and I sat in, and basically Danny recorded the audio, and I recorded the video while Kevin interviewed uh, Chris mm -hmm. Paddock. But from what I took away from that, John, is it really it blew me away how it seemed like he really wanted to dedicate every single free moment that he had while recovering to get better. Like it seemed like oh, yeah. he developed his curveball as he was recovering from Tommy John. Like, did you kind of get that same sense? Like he wanted to spend every single minute just getting better and getting even better than he was before the surgery. Yeah, I think you're exactly right because I think there's two things. I mean, one, he was pushing to get better physically. 
And then he'd sit there and tell us, you know, he'd watch tapes of his games. He would think of them in his mind. He would think what he could do better. And the thing on his curveball, which is interesting, and, you know, Paddock and I got to chat about this today, was his fastball command's outstanding. His changeup's outstanding. His curve is good. It needs to be more consistent, but where he wants to get it, he wants to get it to, you know, where his changeup is. And as uh, Philip Wellman, the manager of the mission, said there day, he said, the thing that's really good about it is when he misses with that curve, he misses in the dirt. I mean, it, it doesn't sit there and hang like a Christmas tree ornament. <laughs> and uh, we were talking a little bit off the air. The thing that was amazing, too, is, I mean, what happened when after, when he faced the guy who hit the home run off him in the next at bat? I mean, that was that was just awesome. I mean, I don't, oh, yeah. I don't think I'd, I've seen anything like that. Yeah, he seems he, to have uh, 80 makeup, I think, is is the impression that we got um, when we got to interview him. Just this this uh, bulldog, you know, go ride him, cowboy attack, attack, attack mentality where he's not going to get beat unless it's on his best stuff. It's it's not a passive approach. Oh, well, when I talked to him today, we brought up that at bat. And he said, you know, I got to give him credit. That was good. You know, they told me to be warned about him. But someone beats me once they are not going to beat me again they're going to beat me it's going to be by my best stuff so you know i'm about three rows back with the scouts and i think as i heard an interview earlier with darren it's like you see him kind of moving his shoulders up and down and kind of paw at the ground and i swear to god for about three years up you heard like a loud like snort or grunt or something it's like <laughs> someone let the damn bull out and the first pitch, he throws something 96 on the black. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> then he throws like 95 inside. And then he throws a changeup that the guy swings right over and he just like turns his back dismissively. <laughs> and he had the whole, I mean, he was coming off the mound each time. Like, I mean, he was really pumped up. And this is unusual because, you know, you guys sat there and saw him talk to Kevin and how he's, he's this really nice Texas kid. Yes, sir. No, sir. You see him between the lines. I mean, and Crystal said he's, you know, he's kind of an ass. So <laughs> he's he's just a I mean, he's just a competitive person. I'll put it this way. Wellman was telling me that there was a rain delay before the game. Uh-huh. So he's sitting there for thirty minutes. He has his headphones on and he has like that's Wellman's word. He had like a Clint Eastwood stare right out the map. <laughs> and in the thing. And he said everybody's sitting there going, well, I'm not gonna fuck with him. No, I'm not I'm just gonna leave him alone. No, and this is the manager talking to him. And you know, and I guess we can say that every time he'd come off the mound, you know, well, I'm just say, you know, bing, get, fucking, hey, giddy up, Cowboys, slap him on the butt. <laughs> and he, the whole team was pumped up. The stadium, you know, I mean, you think in San Antonio they're going to be able to market someone walking in with a 10-gallon hat and boots on. I mean, yeah, oh, yeah. they can yeah, they can sell that. I mean, they're even talking, one of the guys, I don't know if the Padres would do that. He said, you know, we want to bring him in on a horse. Hell, we think that's awesome. <laughs> that sounds like Kenny Powers. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow, that's amazing. So let's let's talk uh, stuff wise in regards to Paddock. Yeah. Like when the times that I saw him, he would sit anywhere from 90, 91 to ninety three. He can touch. I saw him touch ninety six a couple times. That's um, what I were saw. you kind of seeing the same? And then what was the dif- the uh, differentiating like miles an hour between the uh, fastball and the changeup? It was like fifteen. Yeah, fifteen miles per hour. The curveball sits in like the. Curveball's in the low 80s. He didn't throw that many tonight, but you know when you talk to him, just like how you guys were were in on Kevin's uh, you know interview. Kevin wrote a really great article on him too. Yeah, um, was you know he's adamant that he's going to get that curve up. And I mean, this is a guy that's uh, a really hard worker. And then of course, 
you know, I elected the last question in my interview. I decided not to ask what his favorite California burrito was. Um, <laughs> I went, I went, we started talking barbecue and his dad is like a, you know, a certified pit master in, uh, in oh. Dallas area. And, you know, he's going to talk, he catered, I guess, a bunch of barbecue for the storm one time. And he's talking about this and he's breaking down about what type of sauce you put on the brisket and the amount of hours. So this guy knows his way around a barbecue joint, oh, that's too, awesome. which is impressive. Oh, that is so great. That is so great. You know, with Paddock, you've seen him now um, in person. We've read this category mm-hmm. reports. He has he has a solid fastball. He has elite command. The changeup is amazing. Do you think, seeing how the curveball is right now, do you think that that would play? Or do you think that they want him to get that curveball down before he gets a look um, with the big squad? Maybe a little further. Like, you know, when David Jay and I were talking and, and David was being a a real ass and using my own words back against me, you know, which stunned. I'm stunned. Not stunned. David J, the sweet man. No, no, he was pounding me about the stuff I said. And he said, you know, he pointed out that, you know, an a ball I've always said, which is true is that someone can get by, but just not get by or really succeed, but just good command of a fastball and a changeup. Yeah. But you know, up at double A, they're going to hit, but you know, his is really, it's more than just a changeup. It's really elite. And the thing too, is after the game, we had a baseball bite. I think, I don't know if you guys get to see it. He was demonstrating the grip he throws on that changeup. And you, the Vulcan grip. Maybe you guys can see it. Can you still play? I, I could not spot when that changeup was coming out of the hand until you saw guys just swing right over the top of the damn thing. Well, yeah. if you've seen me hit, John, you know I can't spot anything. So, <laughs> well, you're, you're probably, I'm sure you're better than I am right now. So, <laughs> that's uh, probably debatable. Um, speaking of debatable, as, as great as mm-hmm. Paddock has been, we've all gotten to see him now. He's been, just absolutely dominant, maybe the breakout prospect uh, for this yeah. year. Uh, Cal Quantrill has been stated in plenty of uh, prospect articles, um, including fan graphs, as seemingly taking a step back. I know looking at his numbers earlier, just a quick overview, uh, not as polished, not as uh, successful as you might expect out of him. Um, I don't know if you got to see him, but what was your general takeaway of Quantrill in terms of where he stands with the organization? development-wise as far as looking like a future piece and, you know, where, where his ceiling might be after about a year and a half now in uh, in the system? Well, I saw Quantrill on Sunday. And, I mean, you know, I thought, he was, I thought he was okay. I thought he was good. I mean, but the main thing on him is what I think everyone has said is, and this is from last year, his fastball command isn't quite there yet. He was missing out a lot. And when he talked to Quantrill after the game, he was, you know, he's kind of hard on himself. But he was happy that he – you know, was much more competitive. He didn't get down on himself as much as he did the other day. And, you know, the velocity's there. I mean, right now in San Antonio, I mean, we can talk about him coming up. You know, Logan Allen, you know, had one kind of, you know, so-so inning, and then he was dominant for, for five, and he didn't have his best stuff. He's, I think he's probably every bit as good as Paddock. And I, didn't, I miss seeing him, but I'm a huge fan of uh, of Jake Nick, so they'll have a pretty good interview with him. Hopefully, that'll be coming up. And Nick's for a starter has the highest average fastball velocity. He has an awesome changeup, a good curve. And when I talked to Philip today for the final interview, he said, "You know, if I had to pick a guy that could come up off the staff, start spot start tomorrow, it'd be Nick's." I love it because so, I'm a huge Nick's guy. Is oh, he, you should be. Is he injured? He had a bit of a, a groin injury which was uh kind of kind of bad but he's scheduled to pitch on wednesday you know okay. jake's always had that problem he might have some off-season surgery on that mm-hmm. 
they're not sure yet. He's you know he's good enough to pitch. You know he's another guy who really likes to compete. He's and another thing too that you notice. I mean Paddock I think is more than six four. He's probably around six five. Nix is a pretty good sized guy. Logan Allen is and Quantrill actually kind of looks a, a little thin compared to those guys. Those the other three are just really big, you know horses. I mean uh, that's something that should really bode well for a Padre fans. These guys are pretty close. Oh, wow. Yeah, we just looked up Nix's numbers, and uh, Eric's eyebrows raised up to his hairline. <laughs> it's been limited innings, but how how good he's really been. So do you think um, – and I'm going to touch on another uh, big power mm-hmm. arm in a second, but uh, do you think Allen and Nix have uh, leapfrogged Quantra? I'm, I'm certain Paddock has, but with Allen and Nix, those two guys, do you think they've leapfrogged uh, Quantrill in the uh, prospect pecking order in terms of guys that are viewed more favorably moving forward? I would say so, you know, right now, but, you know, things can change. You know, I think it's like last year when I was on here, when, um, I think Eric asked a really good question about Arias, about playing shortstop, and I was saying, no, no, I mean, they said he can kind of play there occasionally, and, you know, he's much better at second base. And I was quoting kind of what, you know, my friend's announcer said, what Wellman said, what the Padres people said. And then, you know, I mean, he played a lot better there in their Arizona Fall League, and he's become much more comfortable there. So he... He's kind of a, a little bit better option there. So, you know, things change. Unfortunately, not all uh, opinions are pronounced once by John Conniff just kind of stand up for the test of time forever. You know? So things, <laughs> things, things can go. Tell that to David J. Yeah. No, yeah, no, sure. I'm sure David. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so again, we have John Conniff from Mad Friars Twitter, at Mad Friars, uh, madfriars.com. Make sure you guys subscribe. A uh, cup of coffee, drop it, and uh, get some great insight from the guys who have on-site coverage. Danny mentioned a big arm there. Um, you got to see Andres Munoz. He recently got uh, promoted up to Double A. What was that like? You know, I've never seen someone kind of throw such an easy like, like ninety-eight, ninety-nine, one hundred two. You know, and the guy, <laughs> it looked like he threw something ninety-five, and the batter can step back. Wow, off-speed. You know, so I mean, <laughs> he's only twenty years old. I mean, wow. he had some problems. He had kind of some problems in his forearm tightness and all this. And for everyone who always flips out, you know, whenever someone has a forearm tightness, you know, sometimes they just need some rest. They can come back. That happened to Logan Allen a couple of years ago. You know, some guys that can rest and they're better. And they come back, and other guys don't. I mean, one thing Logan said was one reason he got forearm tightness was he just kind of thought like a high school kid, like, hey, I'm going to go throw. You know, he wasn't doing enough stuff, you know, on his off days to stretch or that. Now he's really religious about doing that, and he's had no problems. Hmm. How did uh, Munoz's uh, secondary pitches look? Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were okay. He has a decent slider, but I mean, you know, I mean, he threw two, he threw like three pitches last night. They were back to back over a hundred miles an hour. Oh, and that's just, wow. So I know, he, he's, he's still young, but I mean, he's a lot of fun to watch too. Yeah. You know, I, I know a lot of the times uh, with relievers in particular, and this is probably more for like organizational depth types of guys, but like they'll move from different affiliate to different affiliate. Is Munoz there at double A to stay? Yeah, Munoz isn't a guy that they send up to replace somebody and kind of go back down. Munoz is a guy they see in the big leagues. When I was in Fort Wayne, you know, I was talking to Chris Kemp, who has, I mean, an amazing amount of energy. I mean, he is the most hyper guy. He's our international guy. And yeah, he was one telling me, you know, Munoz was touching 101 on the ex- extended spring. And 
he was going to be up in Lake Elsinore not for long. They see him as an arm in double A. They can move pretty fast. They're probably looking for him to develop a somewhat serviceable slider, but, you know, a guy that can come in at that time and throw throw that type of gas is a perfect guy for the bullpen. Great. It sounds like he might be able to uh, crack the team sometime this time next year. Uh, the other guy we're waiting to crack the team is the savior himself, uh, the overlord. What did you think of the savior, Lord Fernando Tatis Jr.? Oh, he, I only got to see him play one game, but he he was he's fun. Who's managing I I, down there, Andy Green? <laughs> <laughs> Fernando was just a little tired. He said his body had been beaten up a little bit. David saw him play when he was out there for four games. The thing about Fernando just kind of cracks you up is you talk to him, he sounds like the most mellow guy who's, you know, hanging around Cardiff. And he's just yawning out there. He looks like he's <laughs> kind of asleep. And then someone hits something kind of in the general vicinity of shortstop. And I mean, my God, this guy can move. Yeah. And then, you know, last night, it's like, you know, it's a 1-1 game in the seventh inning. And uh, and Wellman said, you know, this is what Fernando likes. So he goes up there and he says, hey, you always want the big moment. Here you go. He goes, Fernando goes, okay. <laughs> you know, 2-2 two, two count. Someone decides to try to sneak a fastball by him. When he's kind of look because he'd been looking outside, he just pulls that thing and rips it right down the line. They ruled it a double. It, it, it could have been a triple pretty easily. But yeah, that's just that's just kind of who he is, and he's he's an interesting guy in the clubhouse too because he is totally bilingual, so he gets along with both everybody in English and Spanish, and he's just a really a relaxed guy. He's 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 legitimate six four, about two oh five, and he looks kind of like an NBA point guard. Then I asked, uh, you know, when I was in there with Philip today, you know, I started off the question. I go, okay, well, you know, did, people have talked about. You know, if he can stay at shortstop, uh, what do you think? He said he's a shortstop. I mean, are there any questions? He goes, people don't know what the fuck they're talking about. He's a shortstop. <laughs> you know, he's got the best arm. And then this will be an article too. Another one coming up. He said, you know, he's the best night. He's the best nineteen-year-old in Double A. He said, I've been doing this thirty-four years. Uh, maybe one or two guys were even somewhat comparable to him. I haven't seen a better player in the Texas League than him this year. And uh, you know, and he goes, you know, he's 19. You got to remember that. But it's just, you know, everything's there. So obviously, Phillips not been reading a lot of Barry Bloom. So, but he's <laughs> he's pretty good on that. I would uh, ill-advise the Barry Bloom reads if he's a yes. Tatis fan. Now, um, I'm I'm sure it's a slam dunk. He's going to be in AAA at some point um, if he keeps up what he's doing. Especially maybe with- maybe maybe not because I mean that's been a huge. As you can imagine, that's a huge uh, concern or, or point of contention in San Antonio because they moved Tatis. You know, they're not going anywhere in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. So my my thought is, if they see Tatis as a starting shortstop on uh, April of 2019, then yeah, I think he's after the Futures game, he's in El Paso. If they look at it like the season has seven more weeks, we're not putting him on the 40 man because. You know, we don't have room right now, and we don't need to do this. And we're going to start him off in El Paso for maybe April or part of May. Then he'll come up there, you know, free and clear, and we got an extra year on his clock. Then I can see that. Because, you know, I think as all three of us would say, I don't think the Padres are contending for the World Series next year in 2019. So you don't really need to put him up there. I would tend to think the latter thing is better, but, you know, you, you never know what they could do. Yeah. For sure. Uh, we will all certainly be uh, waiting and very much anticipating his arrival. But at the same oh, time, yeah. we're willing to be a little bit patient. 
Um, one thing that I really want to um, hear from you is you got to see firsthand. I've, I've been very interested to know how my boy Josh Naylor looks in the outfield. Your was he boy. out there in left field? Yeah, he was. And I got and to finally talk to Josh today, too. And I, yeah, he's got, he's got a good sense of humor. I said, you know, uh, to be honest with you, there were a lot of people, including myself, who uh, didn't think he could play left field. And I said, you look pretty good out there. So, I mean, I was kind of wrong. And he goes, yeah. I know. <laughs> he smiled. And, but he made a nice play going uh, to his glove side. You see him out there. He's taking early work every day. Um, you know, he moves better, as Wellman has said. I mean, the main thing is he just needs to see more fly balls out there. He's really focused on it because one thing Sam Ganey, the Padres uh, director of player development, told, told me was he really, really likes being a Padre. I mean, he's really comfortable in the organization. You know, he's a smart guy. He knows Hosmer's there at first base. And he really wants to play out there. And the, and the thing is, when you see him at the plate, I mean, he's got a, he's got a very, very good eye. I mean, he, he for a power hitter, he walks nearly as much as he strikes out. Uh, really good eye at the plate. And he's got some serious power. And also, you know, Eric, most Padre guys who do these stats are like Danny. So what they're looking at is they want to know how many plate appearances he has. They want to know the X velocity, and they want to look at chase rate. And Josh is one of the lowest chase rates in the organization, and they really do notice that. Wow. It sounds like you're uh, pitching to give me a job in the organization, John. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, well, I think on, the so... job from Mill Reyes' BFF is taken, so we'll, we'll get you a shot at that. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe I can be uh, Tatis' friend. I could be like his uh, really, really, really older brother or cousin. Uh Uh Um, But uh, moving on, um, there's been a really flaming hot rumor that Buddy Reed's going to be called up Mm -hmm. to uh, AA, which makes a lot of sense. He's been on an absolute tear um, in single A to the point to where even me, probably his biggest critic, is starting to buy in if he can do it at the next level. Um, he was named to the Futures game. Can you shed some light on that, uh, John, and how the Futures game players are decided? Is it the organization? Is it minor league baseball or major league baseball making requests? How does it work in terms of getting to the Futures game? And what does that mean for Buddy Reed in terms of how the organization views him now going forward after this season? I'm not really sure completely how that works. I know they don't like to see guys up there the same twice in the same time like kind of spread it around like Naylor was up there last year so they kind of wanted to get someone else from my understanding it's kind of a combination of minor league baseball and the organization putting people up there as far as Buddy Reed goes you know look I mean Buddy Reed really didn't hit the University of Florida he didn't hit in Tri-Cities he didn't hit in Fort Wayne and they made some major adjustments to him the biggest one I think Chris Kemp told me was he was really straight up in the box and they kind of widened him out, and he made much more contact. And, you know, we've always thought he was athletic, could run, extremely good defensive player. I just never thought he could hit. But, you know, I, agree. Uh, I was wrong, and about, I think, every single, all the other five guys were wrong, too. So, uh, you know, more credit to him that he's been able to do this. And uh, I think our boy Luis Arias is really kind of starting to come on. He made a couple adjustments at the plate, which has really helped him out a lot. So, you know, Tatis, so they have a really nice contingent going there. 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And if David J happens to be listening, we will cut that part where John Connor says, I was wrong for a nominal fee. We'll uh, get in touch after that. We'll but, put it on an MP3 player for Yeah, you. we will. So, um, John, you guys have a lot of things going on at Madfires. What can we look forward to? I know you guys got a lot of on-site coverage this past weekend. What you guys got coming up before we let you go? Uh, Marcus was out in Lake Elsinore. He has an interview with Michelle Bias. Marcus' Spanish is the best of all, but ours by far. Mm-hmm. Um David was up in, uh, you know, Pasco and in uh, watching all the, the Dust Devils play. And we were really thankful we got the money from them first before they met David J. So that worked <laughs> out pretty well. Um, David's going to have some good interviews with Owen Miller. He'll sum with Blake Hunt and, you know, a good notes column. I had a bunch of interviews from San Antonio. So we'll be pounding that stuff out pretty quick. And uh, we should have some more stuff coming up this summer. Should have a few more trips coming up. That sounds great. Well, hey, John, thanks so much again. Guys, make sure you go to madfires.com and subscribe. Uh, thanks so much for, to- for your time, John, and uh, safe travels back to D.C. Hey, no problem. Thank you, as always, guys, for having me. I always love listening to your podcast, too. I appreciate, appreciate that, Appreciate it, sir. Thanks again. Take care. Take care. Always good to always have the good. overlord on, as I say, after the end of every interview we have with him. A wealth of knowledge. Now, um, great things there. Great things over at madfires.com. They have um, the daily write-ups are insane, dude. It's always good to keep track of that. Um, the story from Paddock and his first start, it was it was really cool. And you don't really get insight like that unless you're at the games. And they're there for pretty much every single affiliate. Yeah, so. I think they're the only uh, Padres prospect uh, write-ups, and there's not a ton, but I think they're the only ones that have on-site at pretty much every affiliation. Well, what I appreciate from just following them, and not just because we're pals with all of them, but like getting the actual video footage of yeah. that, because like you can read so much on these players, but seeing the video of these guys up there, that's what I love to see. So um, it was always uh, it was fun for me. I was looking. I knew he was up there for the paddock start, so I was following their feed very, very closely. So as always, we appreciate the Madfires guys coming on. Um, one thing before we get out of here that I want to bring up, I said it, I, I posted about it on Twitter, and I don't want to talk about it too much because we've said it the last three episodes, but the the Padre Twitter softball team. So today was the deadline to uh, register your team. Uh, we did not register a team this year for a couple reasons. One of those being that we wanted to do a co-ed team. Well, it turned out that there was only two, maybe three women that were down for the co-ed. That's not enough. So we need <laughs> needed more than that. Um, other than that, we had about maybe 18 to 19 dudes that were down, which is normally great. But, I mean, like, what are we going to do? Make one team and say, hey, we can only have... 12 guys the other seven of you go fuck yourself you know what i mean so ideally how i would like to do it is i i thought because as badly as i want to play i almost wanted to rush into it and just be like hey i'm gonna put down the deposit we'll figure out the rest later but i've got burned too many times on adult baseball doing that um to where it was just an awful season and i didn't want to resent the process so i said you know what we're gonna wait until the next season i'm gonna give everyone plenty of notice it is happening just not this season. So I'm sorry, Roy, that you went out and bought cleats. <laughs> they don't age. They don't. Uh, they don't uh, depreciate. You know, physically on their own, they'll still be good to go yeah. in six months. Yeah. So we will. We will be doing it. Just maybe. Just next season. I'm gonna give everyone plenty of notice. Ideally, what I would like to do because there is a lot of interest, I would like to do one co-ed team and then one men's team. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, and maybe your knee will be better by then. You can play. Oh, so. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, uh, but yeah, we appreciate you guys tuning in. One last thing, I want to give a big shout out, and then because I know you got to get to a family party here. 
San Diego Marlins, baby. Your SDABL Marlins, baby. 3 nothing win this last weekend in our playoff game. We've had a playoff drought. Now, I just joined the team last fall, but they've not won a playoff game in a long time. Well, this weekend, we won 3-0. We went out there and beat the Tilted Kilt Knights. We put them out of business. <laughs> they're just the Knights now, but their pitcher is wearing a Tilted Kilt shirt underneath. But, um, dude... Chris Lockhart, three or complete game shutout. He didn't give up a hit until maybe the third or fourth inning. So, um, absolutely insane. I crisp, crisp game, no errors, no walks. I, it's I couldn't believe that that was an adult league game, but it was it was great to be a part of. I know a lot of the guys listen. I want to give a shout out. Uh, we got the Gamecocks this weekend, playoffs, uh, semifinals. Winner of that goes to championship game. So I'm pretty stoked. Are you gonna come out and say hi, or are you too cool for? If you guys make the championship, I'm definitely making the trip down there. My daughter, who is becoming smarter and smarter every day, which makes me question if she's biologically mine, uh, did say, Daddy, because I play MLB The Show, right? Road to the Show. (laughs) So she goes, Daddy, when am I going to see you play baseball? I'm like, oh, oh, you want to come out and play? I want to go watch you with the other kids. I'm like, okay, maybe maybe Daddy will take you next week. So. I There's might, kids running all over the place, dude. There are. Out. So I'm, I might show up next week, and uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll bring my game pants, or maybe I'll just show up with a jersey and some dad shorts. We'll do see. Do that, dude. At the very least, introduce her to the kids, yeah. and then you guys, you ask, don't have to stay the whole game. Just ask, leave. Uh, ask good old, ask one of the maybe, uh, maybe good old uh, Mrs. Dustin Hall back. Hey, can you keep an eye on this white kid that doesn't look like mine yeah. while I go uh, taking that bat here? Yeah, and there? Julia will watch her. Yeah, yeah we'll we got see. the, we got the handle. But dude, yeah, I, I want to give a shout out, Chris Locker. So proud of you guys. I was We've, on edge the whole day. I was like, I'm not gonna text him because. <laughs> I don't want him to be like, I'm having a bad fucking game. So I'm going to wait till about 3.30 or 4. How'd you guys do? Dude, we've played against Chris and then with Chris for years. I think this is the best game I've ever seen him pitch. It was fucking impressive. And, like, he's not overpowering anyone. If you guys want to comp, I gave him him a right-handed, older, heavier Mark Burley. (laughs) (laughs) Is what I gave the comp. Just a little smoke and mirrors, razzle-dazzle. In and out, up and down, but never down the middle. Great time. Great time. So we look forward to this Sunday. Um, uh Winning another playoff game. I'm pretty sure we got the Gamecocks. We're trying to figure out where it's at. But, uh, again... Probably uh, in Chula Vista. Yeah. Again, if you guys listen to last week's episode and you decide to give us another chance, we appreciate it. Um, we'll be back next week with a lot to go over. Things we couldn't even get to today. Um, plenty think, to go uh, over. I think All-Star Game's coming up next week, too. We'll touch on that. All-Star Game. we got tra- trade deadline coming up. we got a lot of things planned. So, uh, we appreciate you guys checking in. We'll check in with you next week. We're out of here.